This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. The first generation that spent their adolescent years with smartphones, the so-called iGen generation, may be significantly underprepared for adulthood. All the things that teens do for the first time, kind of those milestones of adult independence. iGen teens do all of those things less than teens did just five years ago. Then, more and more bike riders risk death on the roads as bicyclist fatalities rise by double digits. Car drivers are often at fault, according to a safety expert. Bicyclists have a right to be on the road, whether that road is a rural or urban, or they're on the roadway or at an intersection. They have a right to be there. Those two stories and more are coming your way on this week's show. InfoTrack begins right after this. InfoTrack. The weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. Today's adolescents are connected to social media and smartphones, but an expert says it may be leaving them unprepared for adulthood. With the story, here's InfoTrack's Roy Mackey. Roy? Thanks, Chris. Our guest is Dr. Jean Twangy, professor of psychology at San Diego State University. She's the author of iGen, Why Today's Super-Connected Kids Are Growing Up Less Rebellious, More Tolerant, Less Happy, and Completely Unprepared for Adulthood, and What That Means for the Rest of Us. Dr. Twangy, welcome to InfoTrack. Thank you. Your book contains just a ton of horrifying statistics for parents, and we can get into some of those in a moment. But first, who are you talking about when you refer to the iGen? iGen is those born roughly 1995 to 2012, so today's 5 to 22-year-olds, and especially the older iGen, what really has distinguished them is that they're the first generation to spend their entire adolescence with a smartphone. And I think the general gist is that these smartphones have completely overtaken their lives and are creating some serious long-term problems. Tell us about how you first started detecting those problems. I've been doing research on generations for about 25 years now, and especially the last decade or so, I've been using these really big national surveys of teens that are done every year. And right around 2012, I started to notice some pretty big shifts in the way teens say they were spending their time in their attitudes and their happiness and in their mental health and well-being. For example, loneliness had been trending down for a while, and then right around 2012, 2013, really started to spike upward in all of the age groups, 8th graders, 10th graders, 12th graders, and then there were similar patterns in symptoms of depression, feeling hopeless and useless, feeling like you couldn't do anything right. Then same thing started to show up in happiness and life satisfaction with them just really falling And then I started to see statistics from other sources showing the same thing. Right around 2011 or 2012, clinical-level depression started to go up and now increased by about 50% in just five years among teens. The suicide rate, according to the CDC, has tripled among young teen girls, and then it's increased by 50% among older teen girls also gone up by quite a bit among boys as well. So there's this really pervasive pattern of young people telling us that they're struggling, that they're not as happy as teens used to be just five or ten years ago. So that really got me concerned, obviously. 
You've also noticed a number of not just emotional effects, but behavioral effects. For example, kids less likely to leave the house without their parents, less likely to date. Can you talk about that a bit? Yeah, so there's a couple of trends there. So the first, teens are just less likely to go out of the house and spend time with their friends or even hang out with their friends inside the house. They just spend less time with their friends in person than they used to. So those trends got started a while ago, but they really accelerated again right around 2010, 2011, 2012. For example, the number of times a week that teens said they went out without their parents started to really go down. The percentage who say that they hang out with their friends almost every day really declined. They're less likely to go to the mall or go to movies or drive around in a car. All the things that teens do when they get together in person, iGen teens are doing those things a lot less than previous generations did. Teens who spend more time on screen, spend more time communicating electronically, are less happy, more depressed, and even more likely to have risk factors for suicide, like thinking about suicide or creating a plan for suicide. It's combined with less interaction in person, which we know from tons of research is connected to mental health, that when you spend more time with people in person, interact with them face-to-face, that's a very positive thing for mental health. So it's this double whammy for iGen teens of spending a lot of time on screens, which doesn't seem to be very good for mental health, and perhaps even more, perhaps even the bigger effect, is they're spending so much time on screens, six to eight hours a day by some estimates, that that doesn't leave much leisure time for hanging out with their friends, which is good for mental health. Our guest on InfoTrack is Dr. Gene Twangy, professor of psychology at San Diego State University and the author of a book called iGen. And we're talking about today's generation of teenagers who don't remember a time without the Internet, who can barely remember a time before smartphones, and how all of that has affected nearly every aspect of their lives in both good and bad ways. There are some positive aspects to what has happened in this technological revolution, though, correct? Absolutely. There's a lot of really good qualities that come out with iGen. Some of them are due to the smartphones. Some of them are due to other cultural forces. But one of them that has some distinct advantages is that today's teens grow up more slowly. All the things that teens do for the first time during their adolescent years, kind of those milestones of adult independence, things like driving, having a paid job, going out without your parents, dating, having sex, drinking alcohol. iGen teens do all of those things less than teens did just five years ago or 20 years ago. Those are actually trends that have gone on for a while. They're not solely due to the smartphone, but they accelerated with the smartphone because all those things involve getting out of the house. And when you're communicating with your friends on Snapchat, it's not as necessary to get out of the house. And these trends are part of a much bigger cultural story about how we raise our kids now, that we have fewer kids, we nurture them for longer, we expect them to go to college, we just expect to live longer and for them to have their own kids later in life. So the whole developmental trajectory has slowed down. So 18-year-olds now look like what 15-year-olds used to look like. And this is a trade-off. There are some wonderful things to teens growing up more slowly. For example, fewer get pregnant as teenagers, and there's fewer drinking alcohol. But on the flip side, 
college faculty and managers tell me, well, then when they get to college, when they get to their first job, a lot of them have a hard time making decisions because probably because they just haven't had as much experience with independence. I think the parents who do see this slow development as a problem also see the smartphone as kind of a losing battle. What advice can you offer to parents to try to take control of all this? Smartphones are a tool, and they're a wonderful tool, and we can do a lot of great things with them. The key is moderation. So let's take the mental health effects, for example, which are some of the most worrying trends. Those don't really show up until kids are on smartphones two or three or more hours a day. Of course, most teenagers are on their smartphone a lot more than that, so there's a lot of room for improvement and scaling back and setting limits. And I think this is true for adults, by the way, too. So one thing that parents of teens can do is to look into getting an app that limits the amount of time that teens are using their phones, whether that's using their phones overall or specific applications like social media or texting. It's going to depend on the kid. Those apps can also shut the phone off during particular times, like at night when they really should be sleeping instead of looking at that phone, during dinner time maybe during a designated family time. So there can be some balance. And what's great about those apps, they're nominal cost, and then you're not literally like trying to yank the phone out of your teen's hand and having to have an argument with them. You put it on there, and then you can limit the amount of time that they use it and try to find that balance. So they can still use it. They can still keep in touch with their friends, but it's not something that overwhelms their lives. If you were going to convey one message to today's teenagers, what would you say to them? Well, you know, I was kind of surprised that many of the teens I talked to realized full well that spending a lot of time on their phones was not the best way to live. I asked a number of them if they'd rather interact with their friends in person or interact with them electronically. That was actually an open-ended question I asked of 200 18 to 19 year olds, almost all of them said, we'd rather see our friends in person. They also acknowledged, look, that takes effort. That kind of isn't what kids do now. But if iGen teens are all saying that, or most of them are saying that, there's enough to band together and say, okay, we're going to set limits on this. Let's try to get together in person. And yeah, they takes more effort, but let's do that. We might be happier if we do. Dr. Jean Twangy from San Diego State University, the author of iGen, Why Today's Super-Connected Kids Are Growing Up Less Rebellious, More Tolerant, Less Happy, and Completely Unprepared for Adulthood, and What That Means for the Rest of Us. Her website is jeantwangy.com. That's spelled J-E-A-N-T-W-E-N-G-E.com. Doctor, thanks for joining us today on InfoTrack. Thank you. And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. Next, there's a higher risk of death from riding a bicycle. The surprising facts, coming up. You're listening to InfoTrack. More after this.